What's up, y'all? We are back with another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we're going to be doing a little bit of a Masters recap, talk about what went down this weekend in college and NFL football, and some big transactions happening in the NBA. Episode 23 coming at you right now. Welcome back, podcast fam. I'm Landon Pangburn, along with my brother and co-host, Preston Pangburn. We were recording this on Monday night, which is a little bit different than our normal schedule, but excited to be back on the mics. We had a big weekend in sports, and we're already one, one day closer to the weekend. P, how you doing? I'm great. I'm particularly excited for this episode. Just to let everyone know, Landon lied to you during the introduction. We're actually hitting you with a bait and switch. In honor of this being episode number 23, we are going to spend four hours talking in circles about who is the GOAT in the NBA between (laughs) LeBron James and Michael Jordan just to talk in circles, get really mad at each other, and arrive at no concrete conclusions. So buckle up. Get ready. Oh, man. I just can't even imagine that. I get super heated in that debate even though I don't really like the debate in the first place. So I don't know how that would go. I, no, it's incredibly stupid. I'm, I'm joking. I think Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman have that one covered. We, we are going to talk about the things we mentioned. I was going to say, let's take another switch and talk about politics. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd get equally as uh, frustrated and get all our listeners to never listen again. So yeah, let's, let's avoid both of those things. Let's, let's do that. Okay. So let's, what are we talking about first? A little master's recap? Yeah. Huge master's weekend. I had talked about last week when we were kind of doing our master's preview that they were saying the course was going to play long and fast at Augusta and nobody was going to shoot 20 under. And that ended up being the exact number. Dustin Johnson blew away the field. Second place was what? Minus 15. He blew mm-hmm. these guys away by five strokes and happy for DJ. He's got Paulina Gretzky. Now he's got a green jacket. What else does a man need? Yeah, he was killing it. It's kind of crazy to think that if you watched him play for the duration of the weekend, he actually could have scored a little bit better. His ball striking was incredible. He had a number of birdie putts that he just didn't miss. His putter was hot at times and not at others, but 20 under and he could have done better. When he's when he's on, like he was, I guess it was pre-COVID, the last time he was on a really hot streak, he's just kind of unstoppable. I don't, I don't really know what, know what you do to beat that guy. Right, and it's funny because... This was only a second major win, which is crazy to think about because he spent a good amount of time at world number one. He's just kind of always at the top of the leaderboard. He's one of the first guys you think of greatest golfers in the world. So I'm happy for him to get this one, get the green jacket and kind of solidify his career and his legacy with it. Yeah, he is one of those guys that's very surprising when you hear how few major wins he has, because like you said, he's always seemingly at the top of the leaderboard. And he is up there as far as career tournament wins. He's won a lot of tournaments, just not a lot of majors, but he's still relatively young and he's got a lot of prime ahead of him. I think we're going to see him win at least a few more. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he's been really hot for a couple of years now and it all kind of consummated with a master's win. He shot 20 under. There were only three guys that did better than 12 under. So he's just on fire. Yeah, there's a couple other players that I wanted to at least mention. One was Sung J M. Because I don't know about you, 
I kept on thinking that my TV was glitching or something weird was happening every time he went to his backswing because he did the super slow-mo backswing a la all the Japanese pitchers in Major League Baseball, even though he's Korean. Yeah. But I got super confused every time he swung because I wasn't sure what was happening with my TV. You're right. I only saw a couple of his shots, but he does do that. And I honestly think that I might adopt that for my golf swing. I feel like kind of taking it a little bit more slow motion, focusing on that start would, would help a little bit. Okay. So I guess I'll bring this up. So we decided at work, we've got four of us who work at one of my offices that we are going to play a two-on-two scramble match in the near future, and I need to practice badly. So would you like to go play golf soon? I would. That, that's actually on my Christmas list as a golf lesson. So maybe we could do that together, get, a, get a lower dope. rate. And since we're talking about Sung JM, we didn't do this on purpose. They're going to laugh if they hear this because, <laughs> okay, you'll, you'll know why. But Sung JM is a Korean guy. All we were trying to do to come up with the teams for this scramble was mm. one and four and two and three, right? Yep. But it just so happened it's the Korean guys against the white guys. So <laughs> what can you do? I'm expecting both of them to swing like Sung JM. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned um, the the Japanese baseball players too, mm-hmm. like how they all hit lefty and kind of run out of the batter's box. Mm-hmm. I think if like they played golf like that, that'd be sick. That would be hype. Just kind of like a happy Gilmore type, like running swing, but from the left side. And then instead of using a cart, you just Ichiro straight to the ball. Ooh, I like it. That sounds dope. Okay, another guy I wanted to point out, Dylan Fratelli doing his best hot rod impersonation. We're going full rec specs, crushing the game dominating shooting 11 under like I killed it and he already qualified for next year's masters like good for him with the rec specs good job Dylan Fratelli last one was Cameron Smith mustache was kind of tough to look at but he was playing really exciting golf he deserves a shout out because despite the fact that he seemed to me to be all over the course he was kind of always seeming to be scrambling he was the first player in masters history to shoot in the 60s for all four rounds had an amazing 15 under as his final score still lost by five strokes but great performance by cameron smith yeah there were a couple guys like cameron smith who you mentioned who played really well kind of out of nowhere and then i guess before we move on should from golf we should at least mention tiger he was the defending masters champion came out you know had a decent thursday kind of towards the top of the leaderboard and then it kind of fell off from there tiger didn't play all that well he had a 10 um on hole number 12 i think on sunday where he hit three consecutive shots into the drink Mm -hmm. so hate to see that from tiger but hopefully he can get at least one more masters or one more major here soon well he had one of the weirdest nines ever because after that 10 on on the 12th hole he went on to birdie five of the last six like what a crazy kind of turnaround that was so pretty cool that he finished that way and actually, it's it's fun to see the new Tiger afterwards in that way, because when he was in the clubhouse getting interviewed, he was kind of laughing about it. You just think of Tiger as not the kind of guy that would laugh about a 10 on a hole, but he's kind of turned a corner. He's a little bit more kind of free-flowing and, and easy easy going these days, so it was fun to see that out of Tiger. Yeah, and he also probably knew he still got to go into the clubhouse and put the green jacket on DJ. So as long as he got to be part of like the coolest ceremony in sports, I think like the presenting of the green jacket and the dinner that they do mm-hmm. for the Masters is such like a prestigious club. So maybe he was just happy to still be involved in that. Speaking of which, what a really cool way for Dustin Johnson to get crowned with his first Masters to get to have the green jacket put on him by Tiger Woods. Like that's just really cool. Yes, for you know winning the Masters with no fans there, that's a good consolation prize to have. Yeah. Tiger or crown you champ it is a good consolation all right we moving on to the nfl now let's do it and the the best play kind of the highlight of nfl sunday this week was what they are calling the hail murray 
Ooh, yeah. I like it. Love it. 11 seconds left in the game. Kyler Murray down by four against the Bills. Rolls out to his left, chucks it to the end zone, and an incredible catch by DeAndre Hopkins. Just goes up and gets it over like three Buffalo Bills, maybe even four, kind of right in that vicinity. You just see a bunch of hands up there, don't know whose is whose, and then he just comes down with it for the game-winning tutty. What would you think of that? Yeah, that was, first of all, the scramble before was cool. So he kind of was under pressure and could have gotten sacked, made a cool move, running to his left, so running the wrong direction, kind of stops and turns his feet and hips real quick and just guns it up there. So great play by Kyler Murray in the first place to even get the ball down there. And then secondly, it's not that surprising that DeAndre Hopkins got up there with his hands alongside everybody else because he's a he's a big guy. He can jump like he's a good athlete. But the strength of his hands was the thing that stood out the most to me. Like yeah, he he's got three guys jostling his arms, trying to knock the ball out on the way down. Just holding on to that was incredible. It's also funny to look back because at least to me, the last big kind of crazy Hail Mary play, not really Hail Mary, but last second wild win that I remember in the NFL was a couple of years ago, the Vikings over the Saints in the playoffs. And that was a Stefan Diggs play. And in this game, Stefan Diggs caught the touchdown with whatever it was under 30 seconds left right before this to put the Bills back ahead. So he was involved in this as well before the Cardinals came back down and won the game at the last in the last play. So yeah, pretty crazy. Stefan Diggs just enjoys being involved in these miracle play games. But yeah, it, it did kind of remind me of an Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary from a few yes. years ago where he's kind of rolling out to his left and someone's chasing him from behind. So he has to very quickly turn his body the other way and just chuck it before he gets killed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just it's unbelievable how it worked and not just the play itself, but the implications of it. This is a, the NFL's play of the year, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it puts the Cardinals in first place after the Seahawks lost to the Rams. All three of those teams are sitting at six and three, but now they're in first place over those two. And then the Bills, they're now seven and three, mm-hmm. and the Dolphins are within a half a game of them at six and three. So just the implications of it, in addition to how cool the play was, NFL's play of the year, and Kyler Murray might be MVP frontrunner now too. Kyler Murray is sick, and that is definitely the most fun division to watch in the NFL. All three of those teams are really good, and then even the Niners. I still firmly believe the Niners are a really good team if they aren't so banged up. Towards the end of the year, once they get at least some of these guys back healthy again, they're a dangerous team to watch too. What a fun division. What a highly competitive, crazy, just talented division that is. Right, and there are a lot of fun division races right now, but before we get back to you know the NFL, actually in terms of football, I know that you have one thing in terms of off-the-field stuff you want to talk about i do especially because we are georgia bulldogs fans the deandre baker news that came out today is absolutely mind-blowing so let's go ahead we talked about this back in the day but let's give a little recap i don't know what month it was what month was it that this originally came out the implications or allegations march april yeah probably it was before training camp started early in 2020 deandre baker got arrested and charged with i guess it was four counts of aggravated assault and armed robbery i believe because he was at a a party and all of a sudden he decided he was going to steal everybody's money and watches and held them at gunpoint right the initial story was that he was at a party and they were like playing poker yeah and then after two hours of playing poker with people that he knows well and are his friends he pulls a gun on them and starts stealing their watches and cash it's like this makes no sense Yeah, so he got arrested for that, charged with some serious crimes that if he would have gotten convicted for those, he would have been serving a minimum of 10 years in prison. So that's kind of what we've been going on. He ended up getting cut by the Giants, even though he's a first-round pick last year. He got put on the commissioner's exempt list. Like, all these bad things have happened to him, and everybody just assumed he was guilty. And then today it comes out that all charges have been dropped. 
that the allegations were made up from the beginning. All four witnesses who supposedly got their items stolen have recanted their sworn testimonies. And now the lawyer who is filing charges against DeAndre Baker has been arrested for extortion. This is nuts. Yeah, it's crazy because when this happened, I was like, wait, is this the worst crime of all time? Just yes. robbing people that you know personally, that like know exactly how to find you. They've seen your face. Like <laughs> they, they probably have name? pictures of you from that night. Like you're going to get caught and go to prison. It just made no sense. But now it has flipped on its head. And now this is the worst extortion case of all time. It is so bad. What kind of plot is that? It's so bad. So apparently this lawyer told DeAndre Baker through whatever means, I don't really know how they communicated. I don't know all the details yet, but he wanted $266,000 per person. So a little bit over a little bit over a million dollars total and they could make the charges go away or whatever. And so now it's flipped on him and he's going to prison for extortion. That's so crazy. I, I just can't even believe the way that this played out. But what if there's one more layer to this story and it's like a, another level of conspiracy where DeAndre Baker wanted to get out of his rookie contract early so that he could get paid more. Oh, wow. So he actually hired the lawyers and those people to accuse him and then extort him and then go to jail. That is nuts. And then he would reimburse them like five to 10 years later with the additional money from his new contract. Is that how it works? Like, can he just sign a free agent contract like anybody else now? So I, this is the first time I really thought about it when you mentioned that the Giants cut him. And I think so. That's crazy. Maybe... People should do this more often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Set themselves up for armed robbery, turn out to be fake the whole time, and then sign a big big free agent contract? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're a player in the NBA or NFL and you have like an incredible rookie year or first two years and like you have, what, two or three years left on your rookie deal where your salary is suppressed, or like even in baseball where you're like under ar- arbitration or whatever, yeah, yeah, just get extorted. Like, <laughs> like hire people to extort you. Extort the extorters and then you can end up making <laughs> like billions so basically we need to wait for this next nfl draft find an upcoming first round highly touted draft pick hire him to hire lawyers for the other side to then hire criminals it's just like gonna be a really convoluted thing but we're gonna end up on top yeah we we should start a business for this okay in addition to our wedding venue business. Yes. Okay. More, more to come on that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. Okay, back to actually NFL football stuff. Big injury coming out this week. Drew Brees, five cracked ribs and I think a punctured lung. Yeah. Sounds pretty nasty. They're saying optimistically he'll be out at least two or three weeks. What you think? Well, were you watching this game when that happened? I was. It was on the terrible roughing the passer call, wasn't it? Yeah, it was roughing the passer. Are you saying terrible as in it was terrible by the defender or a terrible call? Terrible call. It was a tough call because he kind of got pushed into him and he tried to fall off to the side of him. It's just some of these, there's a lot of these calls in the NFL these days where I'm not sure what the defense is really supposed to do. And that was probably one of them. But that was a large man who landed with a substantial portion of his body weight on top of Drew Brees. The crazy part is that Drew Brees got up and played at least, I think it was two more series until halftime. And then at halftime decided he couldn't go anymore. But he was playing out there with a collapsed lung and five fractured ribs. That's pretty beast mode right there. Pretty crazy. And I I remember cases of this before. Like Tony Romo had that before where he had a cracked rib Mm. and it punctured his lung. And he just put on a flak jacket and never missed any time, I don't think. He had a fracture in his spine too. Yeah, it's not great. No. But I guess what's different about this one for Drew Brees is the five cracked ribs. Like that's a little bit more serious. That's, That's four more than one. That is great math. That is four more than one. And it's on both sides too. So it's not like 
like turning both ways would suck getting hit on either side would suck like that's just that's tough to do as a quarterback yes it's not ideal so luckily that there's the extra wild card this year so if the bucks kind of take command of that division with drew Brees out the saints can still make the playoffs but we'll see how much of a drop-off there is at quarterback for them sean payton came out today and said that he will not name a starting quarterback until he sees both Jameis winston and Taysom hill work out with the first team and it got me thinking today remember how i told you like a month ago how i beefed on Twitter last year with a Saints writer who was trying to tell me that Taysom Hill was the future franchise quarterback for the Saints. Yes, you did. And I was like, there's no way in hell that's happening. Yep. This is going to tell us, right? If Taysom Hill doesn't get the start, if they don't trust him to run that offense, having been there for several years, more than Jameis Winston, who threw 30 picks last year, they clearly do not have faith in him to be the franchise quarterback going forward, right? I don't necessarily agree with that. Oh my goodness. The reason I don't agree with that is is because mid-season, it's hard to make that switch because of how many roles he plays. So if you take Taysom Hill out of his other roles, which is literally covering kickoffs, covering punts, being a tight end, an H-back, a blocker, a receiver, a runner, a kind of mix-it-up wildcat quarterback, if you take him out of all of those roles, then you've got to switch everybody else around. If you leave him in that role and you throw Jameis Winston in there, then you only have to change one guy. And he did throw 30 picks, but he also threw for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. So they're not in the worst hands ever for two to three weeks. And like you said, extra wild card. I think they're going to roll with Jameis, keep Taysom in his place, and just keep going. That's a fair point about Taysom, but I don't know, like given all the positions that he plays, like he comes in at tight end, he's like a gadget back, he plays on all the special teams, but why would you take Taysom off of all of those other units just to in turn have a very average quarterback? I don't don't get what you're saying. Like, why would you take him off of all of those other special teams and stuff just to put him at quarterback and then just have a bad quarterback? He's a weapon, bro. I guess. He's a beast. He's 230 pounds, runs a 4-4, and he can throw the ball. He's a scary dude. Okay. Well, TBD on Taysom, but I'm really hoping that it's Jameis because I think that Dolphins may not drop off too much as long as he can limit the turnovers. I, I know that he's had a lot of problems with that in the past, but hopefully Sean Payton can kind of get his head right. And remember, he had LASIK on, in the offseason. He can see now. He's not going to be all squinty? No. Gosh, I couldn't stand that. I was like, how are you playing a professional sport and you can't see a thing? Yeah. So the stolen crab legs are in the past. The squints are in the past. He's just, you know, with a better supporting cast, better coach. Maybe he can play now. All right. We'll see. I've got another Georgia Bulldog story I want to bring up. And that is our boy, Nick Chubb. He's back. He is back, but he's also in the news for what he did at the end of the game. If you didn't see, the Browns were up 10-7 with, I think it was under a minute left, right? Yeah, less than a minute. Yeah. 50-something seconds or whatever. And they needed a f- one more first down to seal the deal. And he broke a play down the left sideline and could have easily scored a touchdown had nobody within 15 or 20 yards of him and decided to run out of bounds at the one. Now, this is a little bit different than the Todd Gurley scenario a few weeks ago because it would have put them up two scores, 10 points with under 50 seconds left. Like, they were going to win regardless. But... One, he made a lot of fantasy owners very angry. And two, it prevented the Browns from covering the spread, which was, depending on where you looked, it was like three and a half, four and a half, somewhere in there. They ended up only winning by three. That is a tough, tough beat if you're a Browns better or a Nick Chubb owner, which got there. 
Yeah, very tough beat for the betters. I have Nick Chubb in our guillotine league. So if I got guillotine this week and it was by like six points or less, I'm not sure I could have ever forgiven my boy Chubb, but luckily I survived. From the betting perspective, in our love it or fade it, and just in general, I took Texans plus four. So, you know, never a doubt. There we go. You'll take it. So we talked about the Drew Brees injury. One other quarterback related injury story that I wanted to bring up was the return of Alex Smith. He made his first start since his horrible, horrible leg injury a couple years ago and kind of balled out. They didn't get the win, but the fact that he was able to stand in there for a full game, threw for 390 yards, I think he threw 55 passes, just incredible. Really, really cool to see him back. Like already, I don't care what happens the rest of the year. He's the comeback player of the year because it is a miracle that he's on a NFL football field right now. <laughs> yeah, very happy for Alex Smith and his family with him being back. But honestly, him being on the two and seven Washington football team who are just trying to tank and then draft a quarterback, it's kind of like whatever. I just I hope I don't have to watch the Washington football team play anymore this year. I'm not whatever about it. I think it's I think it's incredible. Just I guess it might be what I do professionally in the medical field. Like this guy has no business being able to run around ever again and play football. It's just, it's amazing. He's able to do what he does. I did think it was funny. And I thought of you when I saw this, he apparently has been watching tape of Philip Rivers to figure out how to play without being able to run. (laughs) (laughs) No way. (laughs) That's pretty incredible. It it is funny. If you remember, people don't really talk about it a whole lot because he's not like a runner as far as for yardage, but he was a really good athlete and scrambler. And I mean, he was fast prior to his injury. Oh yeah. He was a urban Meyer quarterback at Utah. He was a dual threat guy. Yeah. He could run. Yeah. He clearly does not have that in his game anymore. I don't know if you know this. He has pretty bad drop foot because he had some serious nerve damage going on. So he has to wear an AFO. It's like a brace that keeps your foot from dropping everything. Yeah. The only reason I'm familiar with that is Jalen Smith. I know he deals with that too. Yeah. So he has drop foot, so he can't run very fast. Plus I think they they had a muscle transfer. So he's lacking some of the muscles in his right leg. Like he just can't, he can't run very well. But just the fact that he has to watch Philip Rivers to see, because he's still twice as fast as Philip Rivers to see what he does, <laughs> is pretty awesome. Yeah, Philip Rivers is a really good guy to study if you want to figure out how to play quarterback when you can't run, can't tackle, or throw a Hail Mary. Although there are a few of those guys. I watched Big Ben try to scramble outside the pocket yesterday, and it, I, his, he was running slower than Sung J.M.'s backswing. <laughs> yeah, Big Ben, he's a slow mover, but he's always just been that guy who kind of lugs around in the pocket, and even if you hit him, you can't bring him down. But yep. that's actually a good segue, because I wanted to bring up the Steelers next. With their win over the Bengals on Sunday, they moved to 9-0. I have to talk about it. They go in 16-0? and Oh, man. I have to go no just because the odds are against them. The fact that very, very few teams have ever done it. I guess it's the 70, 72 Dolphins and what was it, the 20, 2007 Pats? Are those the only two teams that have done it? Yeah, 2007 Pats, 18-1. and one. So just because of the odds being against them as far as history in the NFL, I'm going to say no, but they are a very, very good team. They're really good. The defense is nasty. I just want to read the remaining schedule real quick. At Jaguars, home against the Ravens, home against Washington, at Bills, at Bengals, home against the Colts, at Browns. So there are you know potentially a couple losses in there, particularly at Buffalo. That's a tough environment to go into. And then maybe at Browns in week 17 because they might be resting some starters if they wrap up the one seed but something to keep an eye on yeah there's definitely a few difficult games in there i'm gonna predict that they lose it in week 16 against the colts because of a philip rivers rushing touchdown (laughs) (laughs) love it absolutely love it okay i'm gonna i'm gonna say that they go 14 and 2 they lose at bills to ruin the perfect record and then don't care anymore so like i just said they end up losing week 17 to the browns I just wanted to make a joke about Philip Rivers rushing touchdown. I actually would pick the Bills at the Bills 
for when they lose as well. Okay, fair enough. I, I like that we both are not even talking about them potentially losing at home to the Ravens, which I want to mention real quick. The Ravens' latest stinker on Sunday Night Football against the Patriots. What did you think of that game? Yeah, I actually had that written down in my notes as something I wanted to bring up as well. They just don't look good. Their offense especially just no, they're can't broken. get it moving. Um, yeah, I think it's partially that for the same reason that they were good last year is maybe why they're bad this year. So last year, every week I remember watching them and being like, this is something I've never seen before. This is a different offense than I've ever seen anyone run in the NFL. The way that they use Lamar Jackson, the way that they had kind of backs going in different directions and they had this kind of interesting lineups and backfields and everything. It was just so unique. And I feel like the NFL has just gotten enough tape on them that they figured it out and they know what to do. And now because of Lamar Jackson's at times ineptitude throwing the ball, they just don't really have a way out of it. Exactly. And there's kind of a variety of problems and it's hard to know what to attribute it to. Like it's partially because Lamar struggles to throw it outside the numbers and farther down the field. It's partially because they don't really have any great weapons. I mean, Mark Andrews is a good tight end. Hollywood Brown is, is solid, but their receiving core is just not anything special. And then we talked about last week, Lamar saying that people were, or defenses were calling out their plays at the line. So maybe there's some predictability going on there. But anyway, the moral of the story is their offense is broken. And I'm just going to declare right now, the Ravens, their season's over from a from a, stand, wow. from a standpoint of being a contender to win the Super Bowl this year, I'm done with them. Wow. Okay. So right now they're six and three. So we got seven games left. What do you think they finish at after the regular season record wise? I think they go 11 and five and make the playoffs and lose in the first round. Oh, okay. I guess that's not, that's really not that outside the box because that's kind of what they tend to do, right? They just, they're a good team, but that's just not a contender in January and February. Which is crazy because their defense is loaded. They made a couple of those big trades, one for Calais Campbell, who's now out, and then Yannick Ngakwe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's just, it's a really good defense, but their offense is just letting them down, and I just don't think that they're going to beat good teams in the playoffs. All right, we keep an eye on them, and then another good team that struggled yesterday is the Seattle Seahawks. They kind of got locked down by the Rams. What did you see there? Well, I saw a game that was supposed to be a shootout and ended up kind of sucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Seahawks just couldn't get it together on offense for one of the first times this year. I mean, Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited, front runner for MVP, came in, put up 17 points against you know a pretty mediocre LA defense. So yeah, that was an interesting one. And my biggest takeaway from it is it was a huge one for the NFC West because now all three teams, Cardinals, Seahawks, Rams, all sitting there at six and three, division wide open. Yeah, and you talked about the Seahawks not being able to get it going. The Rams couldn't really get it going for that matter either. One thing that was kind of cool is this matchup between DK Metcalf and Jalen Ramsey. And Jalen Ramsey clearly won that one. For the most part, pretty much locked down DK Metcalf, which is incredible because nobody has really been able to do that this year. He's a stud corner. I kind of like when you get to see those just battles of the best and see who comes out on top, and that was one of them. It was. So DK Metcalf, like you said, got locked down. And I think Tyler Lockett's dealing with a little bit of a a minor injury going forward. Mm -hmm. So yeah, watch out for the Seahawks. There might be a little bit of of trouble in paradise. We'll see there. What else you got in the NFL? (laughs) One last thing I just want to mention is that the NFC East continues to be the woat. The Eagles lost to the Giants yesterday, but they remain in first place at 3-5-1 after getting victimized by Danny Dimes and a couple long rushing touchdowns. God, this division's just so bad. And other than those two, the Eagles and Giants, you've got the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys both at two and seven fighting for who is going to get relegated to the Big 12. So a lot of big things happening in that division. 
It is so bad. I think it's funny how good the Eagles are at rushing the passer, but they can't stop Danny Dimes from running. He runs all over the Eagles every time. What is that? Danny Dimes, man. He's just unstoppable. Ask, ask Sam. He's unstoppable twice a year against <laughs> I, the Eagles. I guess. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the NFC East sucks. Let's just oh, let's hope we don't have to watch much of that the rest of the year. Right. Well, let's stay on football. I want to move to college football just real quick and touch on a couple things. My biggest takeaway from the weekend, Michigan lost at home 49 to 11 to Wisconsin. They looked like they kind of quit out there. People are starting to talk about Jim Harbaugh maybe having one foot out the door on his way back to an NFL opening. What you think about that? Yeah, it seems like they've just kind of come to the end of the road, right? I don't know what they do going forward. I don't really know if they have a better option, really, to be honest with you. Michigan is just kind of screwed. They compete and play against Ohio State, who is an absolute machine right now, like the likes of Clemson and Alabama. It's those three, right? Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. They just got the ball rolling with recruiting, with coaching, with sending guys to the NFL. They're just on fire. And I don't think Michigan anytime soon, whether it's Harbaugh or they get a new guy, is going to overcome that. So I don't know what you do. Yeah, the chips are kind of stacked against Michigan for right now. They they need an LSU-like miracle because you kind of would have said the same thing, not to this extent, but you would have said the same thing about LSU a few years ago, just kind of you know stacked against Nick Saban and a really tough SEC West, having to play and beat Bama every year to even get to the SEC championship is just really tough. So who knows? Maybe, maybe lightning will strike. They'll just get that one super superstar player like Joe Burrow to, to take them over the top and bring them back a little bit. Yeah, we also had a few teams kind of keep their undefeated seasons alive, including Phoenix and the Indiana Hoosiers. Yep. So they're pretty sick. Uh, another coaching thing going on, South Carolina decided to let go Will Muschamp. First of all, what do you think of the firing? And second of all, any names come to mind for a replacement? <laughs> I was having this conversation with my friends earlier today about Will Muschamp. I mean, consider me shocked. Like, who would have thought that this wouldn't have worked out? He he didn't do well at Florida, and he went to a worse school with a worse recruiting base and worse resources. Mm-hmm. Like, how did it not work? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the same thing with South Carolina. That's a really, really tough spot to be. You're stuck in between recruiting against Clemson and UGA. And like you said, not great resources, recruiting base. Just a really hard job. It is. In South Carolina, I kind of put them in the bucket with Miami and Nebraska, who just back in the day or at some point had this golden era that was either sparked by an incredible head coach or just some you know era of recruiting that went really well. They're just never coming back. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And then you also got to throw out Liberty. The Liberty Flames won 58-14 to against Western Carolina, 8-0 dominant. They are dominant. I saw Hugh Freeze's electric pregame speech. I mean, the guy's got the ball rolling right now. And it it made me think as I was watching his pregame speech, do you think like anyone in the locker room is just like, it's kind of weird playing for a guy who I know is just like, this is just a stepping stone. Yeah, that would be kind of strange. Although he did just sign a long sign a long contract extension. Oh, he did. He did. I'm sure he will break that. He will absolutely break it. But let me try to figure out what it is real quick, because I think it just happened like maybe last week. Okay, well, while you're looking that up, I also want to talk about one more thing. Florida beat Arkansas 63-35 to this weekend after a really impressive performance and a big win over Georgia. Florida quarterback Kyle Trask threw for 356 yards and six tutties. He's moving up on the Heisman list. What do you think about that? Yeah, he is. We've already mentioned a few guys. He looks really good. I just want to know if the season ended today, who's your Heisman Trophy winner? As much as it pains me to say it as a Georgia fan, I'm going Justin Fields. Are you? He's played like 
three games. His team's undefeated. He's got sick numbers. I would have to go with Mac Jones. That guy has killed it. It, it pains me as a Georgia fan too, but that guy, he's actually good. When he came in last year, I thought he was just a guy. Now I think he's like, he's a star. Yeah, and he started to emerge as like a potential late first round pick. There's always a quarterback that emerges in the draft and is a high riser like we talked about with Joe Burrow. I mean, he's not going to get to that extent because, you know, maybe no one else does ever again. But Mac Jones is for real. He is for real. Okay, I got the numbers on Hugh Freeze. He signed an extension through the 2026 season, and he is the highest paid non-Power 5 coach in college football, making $3 million per year, which is pretty sick at Liberty. He's probably going to save at least half of that every season for whenever he does get a new Power 5 job so he can pay the players to come to the yes, school. Yep. But at least he's got that money in the bank to kind of work with. Yeah, I mean, good for him getting a long-term deal. He, he's a guy of you know high character and integrity, so I am sure that he will honor that contract. <laughs> yeah, he has proven that in the past. Yes, exactly. Well, that's about all I got for college football. You want to talk about my favorite topic of the day, and that's the NBA. Yeah, big things popping in NBA today, like big roster moves happening. What do you want to start with? Let's do the Chris Paul trade. We talked about that on our last episode about how that was kind of speculation, and now it's happened. Chris Paul to the Suns in exchange for Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, and a protected first-round pick going back to the Thunder. What do you think about it? I actually really, really like it from both teams' perspectives. So first of all, the Suns, because that's probably the more immediate ramifications. So they have a really talented roster uh, especially of like younger guys. So first of all, Chris Paul coming in there provides a leader for a team that is going to try to contend for a playoff spot this year. The West is going to be really tough and there's going to be at least one or two really good teams in the West who don't make the playoffs. But the Suns are one of those 10 or so teams that are really going to be fighting for a spot in there. So Chris Paul, first of all, provides a point guard, obviously. But second of all, a leader with experience who can teach the young guys and kind of lead them forward to somewhere they have not been before. And then in addition to that, They only have him signed for the next couple of years, and the timing works out perfectly, which I'm sure is one of the reasons they wanted Chris Paul, is that when their young guys, namely uh, Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton, come off the rookie deals and need to get paid with bigger contracts, that's when Chris Paul's contract expires. So that's not going to interfere with re-signing those guys at all. So they can keep their young court together long term while also competing for playoff spots in the next couple of years. So I love it for the Suns. I love it for the Suns too, for all the reasons you mentioned. And like you said, some good some good craftsmanship on the contracts and salary cap workings by the GM. And that's also, you know, two years from now, Chris Paul, what, turns 50? So yeah, exactly. it's a good time to get him off the books. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting for the Thunder because now it you think it kind of sparks them into full-on tank mode. In addition to trading Chris Paul, there were also rumors that they are in deep talks to trade Dennis Schroeder to the Los Angeles Lakers. I believe that will become official in the next day or two, according to Woj on Twitter. And then also, I mean, who's next? I assume they've got to trade Stephen Funaki Adams next if they're trying to go full tank. Yeah, I think so too. I thought it was interesting when I got on ESPN as soon as I saw this news today that they did the trade grades like they normally do. And they gave the Suns, I think it was a B minus and they gave the Thunder an A, which is interesting. I guess they really liked how many young players they got. The salary cap situation looks really, really good. And they just have a ton of draft assets over the next three to five years, like a ton. And it's reminding a lot of people of what they did when they first, when Sam Presti first took over and ended up getting Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. They're kind of going to start working in that direction. Yes, they're going to tank and they're going to rebuild in that direction, trying to trying to win through the draft and young player acquisitions and just kind of building up from the ground up. 
Yeah, they're doing a good job of that. And I've seen a bunch of kind of funny memes about their GM, Sam Presti, over the last day or two, just saying he's just a hoarder of first round picks. And that could pay off for them in the future, like you said, with those big three that he drafted a few years ago. But yeah, keep an eye on the Thunder. I mean, they've they've got a couple of good young pieces with Lou Dort and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Now they've got Chris Paul off the books. So they could be really fun in a few years. Yeah, it's funny how quickly we forget when teams do this. Like we always kind of dread this as teams are going into tank mode and as they're hoarding draft assets. And we think that the future of them being good again is so far away. It's not that long ago that the Boston Celtics were in this very same situation, getting rid of Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo, starting back from the ground up, acquiring all these draft assets, and now they've built it back up with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and this young core they've got, and they're a stud team again. That's just that's exactly what the Thunder are trying to do. That's a very fair point, but counterpoint is the Boston Celtics are a destination that can at least land a halfway decent free agent. Absolutely. <laughs> the Suns probably aren't. Yes. Like I when agree. you can just go out and sign Kimball Walker. That's pretty huge. For sure. But anyway, yeah, well, keep an eye on these teams. The Suns are really fun. I'm excited to see that starting five. So who's it going to be? Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Michael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton. And who's the fourth? Sarich? Probably Dario Sarich. Okay. He's not a bad player at all. And he's still young. I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty yeah. well-rounded. That's a squad. I was looking at this earlier. You're, you might laugh at this, but I think this is a legit rotation. So three guys off the bench, if you go guard, wing, big guy, Cameron Payne, is actually a solid backup guard. I think he averaged like 10 points a game last year. Like He's a decent player. Cam Johnson, who they drafted out of UNC a couple years ago, was a really good three-point shooter. I think he shot just under 40% last year as a young guy. Like That's just a good player. And Aaron Baines is a solid backup big guy. Like That's a good eight-man rotation. Yeah, like Aaron Baines, Cam Johnson, good, you know, young, two-way wing, very athletic guy, way out on campaign, but you know, what can you do? Is that as a Bulls fan? Yes, I hate that guy. Why? Because he sucks. <laughs> Why does he suck? I can't remember what trade he was involved in, but he was supposed to be like this big prize of a trade. Was it Derrick Rose? I don't know. I don't, was he involved in that? Um, I don't know. Hold on. I'm looking it up real quick. Oh, never mind. Okay. It was for Taj Gibson and Doug McDermott in the second round pick. But massive trade. That is huge. Doug McDermott and Taj Gibson. That <laughs> You got to get a prize back for that. But he was supposed to be like actually good because okay. that was like a decent team trying to add like pieces to a contender. And you get campaign and within like a month he gets sent down to the D League. Guy's a bum. Okay. Last year, campaign averaged 11 points four rebounds and three assists a game off the bench for the Suns, and he shot 51.7% from three. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. He shot 3.63s a game and shot 51.7%. That's sick. Guy's a bum. I mean, if you give that guy playoff minutes, you probably won't even make the playoffs. Yeah. (laughs) You know how many games he played? One. (laughs) No. He played eight. The eight and no bubble suns because campaign was in the building. Wait, is that only the only games? The only eight games he played, they were undefeated. Oh my goodness! How many minutes? Uh, he averaged twenty three minutes a game. Whatever, dude. Campaign's <laughs> terrible. All right. What else we got in the NBA? So the one I'm most excited about is the James Harden rumors. So it came out today that he wants to quote unquote play for a contender elsewhere and his preferred destinations are the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers and I am just in love with the idea of him going to the Nets for several reasons. What do you think about it? That sounds like the biggest nightmare of a roster composition that I've ever heard of in my entire life. First of all, you got Kyrie Irving who seemingly can't stand not being the best player on his team. He couldn't deal with being not the best player on the Cavs, so he decided to leave. Now he's got Kevin Durant, so he's probably already got a complex about that. He's going to be like, 
I'm just not the best player on this team. And now he's going to be the third best. And he's not going to be the primary ball handler because James Harden dribbles for the first 22 seconds of the shot clock every possession. Kyrie Irving will lose his mind within the first 15 games of the season if this happens. Yeah, and I'm excited about it because I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Like now that this is out there, I just, I don't see how it doesn't happen because he's going to get traded one way or another and it's going to be to one of these two teams. And so I don't know exactly what the Nets have to give back. I, I assume it's going to revolve around Karis LeVert and, and Spencer Dinwiddie. It's got to be. And multiple first round picks, I reckon. I guess so. I kind of wish that they would trade Kyrie Irving for James Harden and banish Kyrie to the Rockets with a bunch of midgets who can't play. Yeah. That would just be fun for me. It would be kind of awesome because like you said, with the whole primary ball handler thing, like you can't have Kyrie and Harden out there together really because they both need the ball. I mean, James Harden, despite his size, he's a point guard. Yes, he is the definition of a primary ball handler. He has the ball in his hands more than any other player in the NBA. And then Kyrie is also such an ISO player. He's like, give me the ball, get out of the way. That's that's his game. Kevin Durant can thrive in any offense because he's just a monster on the offensive end. He can catch and shoot with, with the best of them. He can cut off the ball. He's just a good player. Those two guys, Kyrie and James Harden, cannot coexist. No, they can't. And KD, you go back to him. He's been talked about as a guy who can fit into any system. Like he's just so good all around on both ends of the floor. He can shoot. He can take it to the lane. He can pass. He plays D. He's so long. He can fit with anybody, right? But the fit of Kyrie and James Harden together just makes no sense. And I feel like Kevin Durant, he's going to have these flashbacks to playing with Russell Westbrook, where these other guys are taking way too many shots. They're not getting him the ball enough. And I think that Kevin Durant's head might explode playing with either of them. Playing with both of them, I think, is going to be the funniest thing in the world. I just want to see, okay, so you know the the statistic usage percentage in the NBA, basically how yeah, many- Yeah, usage rate. Yeah. yeah, how many possessions end with like you using the ball, you know, like in one way or the other, shooting it or turning it over, whatever. I, th- I wonder if the three of their usages- total over 100 percent yeah it's got to right probably it's literally the definition of not enough basketballs to go around you can't do it yeah and i remember people said the same thing when the the heat teamed up with lebron d wade and bosch they were like you got to think about it as good as these guys are i mean only one of them can have the ball at once but like they just don't play like that lebron was just the clear primary ball handler Dwayne Wade was, you know, a two guard that could play on ball or off ball, depending on if LeBron was on the floor. And then Chris Bosh is just, he's a power forward. I mean, he'll make outside shots when you pass him to it, when he's open, hit 18 footers, get rebounds, play defense, but they just had very clearly defined roles. And I just think in terms of having defined roles, the nets with this big three would be a mess. It's not only defined roles in terms of basketball strategy, it's also a defined hierarchy. LeBron was the man, D Wade was, was Robin. And Chris Bosch was the clear number three. I don't think any of those three guys in the Nets are going to be okay being the clear number three. And you talk about the Heat, like Chris Bosch, his shots went down significantly from the Raptors to the Heat. Just that's how it goes when you're in a three man team like that. Kyrie Irving is not going to handle that. No, he's not. You talk about Kyrie, but I just feel like James Harden might have a mental breakdown with this too. Like someone someone tweeted the other day, it was like Dwight Howard wanted out, and then um, Chris Paul wanted out. And now Russell Westbrook wants out when he requested Mm -hmm. a trade from the Rockets the other day. And he was like, 
basically when is it time to have an honest conversation about James Harden? Yeah. Like he he's also been criticized as the guy who goes to strip clubs the night before big games. Mm-hmm. He's kind of out in the press sometimes for the wrong reasons. He has come off in the playoffs a couple times, notably game seven against the Spurs a few years ago is just not really even trying, just kind of folding in the second quarter when they got down by double digits. Like he's not the easiest personality seemingly to get along with. So I don't know. I, I love the idea of this. I need it to happen. We haven't even mentioned the fact that they've got a guy who's never coached a basketball team before as their head coach in Steve Nash, who I love, but he's still a brand new guy. And then you had this Kyrie Irving quote, whatever it was a month or two ago, saying, yeah, we really kind of see coaching in the NBA as more of a group effort. It's just like... (laughs) No, it's not. And this is just... Yeah, saying they don't oh. really need a coach. And then we mentioned uh, last week, Mike D'Antoni is now there as an assistant. I, I guarantee you there was at least some part of them that was happy to not have to coach James Harden anymore. And now he could be stuck with him again. God, I, I, I just need it to happen. I want it to happen too. All right, last bit of NBA news is this upcoming Wednesday night, we have the 2020 NBA draft. Anything you're really paying attention to there? It's starting to look more and more like the top three is pretty locked in with Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and LaMelo Ball in whatever order. And what I think is interesting is two things. One is the Timberwolves have the number one overall pick, and it came out today that they have not reached out to James Wiseman yet. Wow, interesting. So I don't think he's going number one. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I want to point out is that for the last couple months, it seemed to be a near consensus among, you know, big NBA people and in mock drafts that um, Anthony Edwards would be going number one overall to the T-Wolves. And now I feel like that's flipped. Most of what I'm seeing is LaMelo Ball. So I'm not sure what happened there or if, you know, that's something that is just speculation or something that's been leaked. But what do you think? I read about it, actually. There was a workout that Anthony Edwards had. I don't know how many people were there in person, but I think it was like broadcast over Zoom or whatever. A lot of people watched it, a lot of NBA executives. And I guess he didn't shoot as consistently as a lot of people wanted him to from the outside. And because of that workout, he got kind of leapfrogged by LaMelo Ball. And I have seen the same things you've seen. The consensus now is that LaMelo Ball is going to be the number one overall pick. Wow. Good for LeVar. I guess so. Really happy for the guy. And then we talked about the Warriors having the number two overall pick. There's a chance that they trade it if they can get something good and a proven star for it. But if they keep it, it seems like a consensus that they're taking James Wiseman. I think big guy in the middle kind of adds the most to that rotation. Yeah, that's probably the number one thing I'm looking for in the entire draft, really, just because it has the most near-term implications for this upcoming season is what the Warriors do, because obviously they've got all their stars coming back this year, and they're going to be a contending team regardless. But adding either James Wiseman or a proven veteran in a trade would be a huge move for them. They do need some additional size and athleticism for their big guys. So James Wiseman could be a fit, but also interested to see who they could be targeting in the trade market. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, we're only a couple days away. I'm, I'm looking forward to NBA draft night. And then, so I guess if those are going to be the top three, the draft really starts with the number four overall pick with the Chicago Bulls. Two of the top prospects that they might take are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. One is Obi Toppin. He's 22 years old, forward out of Dayton. And the other that I've seen pretty commonly is Denny Abdija, 6'9 forward from Israel. You know, raw, but very skilled. Could be, you know, one of those foreign players that sits out for a couple years and then comes over and it's pretty solid. I think he's 18, 19 years old. So keep an eye on that. And then one more that I want to mention, just because Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, I was reading an article earlier today, has this guy as his number one player in this draft, Mm. Killian Hayes. I've heard a French guy. Yeah. Okay. 6'5", left-handed point guard from France. Most people have compared him to Manu Ginobili. Interesting. Kind of unorthodox, lefty, slasher type guy. Yeah. You know, big on the Euro step, has a bald spot. 
that okay. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. I mean, not, Ma- not really. I'm just talking about Manu, but you get it. Manu is a Hall of Famer, so that would go well. Yes, Manu was a stud. One thing I've learned, if you just look back over the last, whatever, however many, however many you want to, 10 NBA drafts, even though you don't feel like it's the case when the draft is happening, there are always, always diamonds in the rough, especially mid and first round, and someone is going to hit an absolute grand slam with one of these guys. It's just really hard to know in advance who it's going to be. It could be the next Giannis. It really is. It's so hard to know because some of these overseas guys, you've never heard of them. And then even the guys who play in the U.S., they're college freshmen. So you just you never see them play. They're just not around very long. They don't become household names before you get drafted. But like you said, there are always all-stars and future MVPs and drafts. So it'll be fun. I just went back and picked a random year just for fun to see what it looked like. I, click, I picked 2015 NBA draft to see who in the middle or end of the first round was a steal and Devin Booker at 13 behind guys like Justice Winslow and Frank Kaminsky and Stanley Johnson. Like those guys kind of get hyped before the draft, but a guy like Devin Booker is going to be hiding in the middle of the first round. Just got to find him. They're all over the place. I think Jimmy Butler went 30th overall. Draymond Green went in the second round. They're they're all over. Nikola yep. Jokic went uh, in the second round as well. Crazy. Yeah. Giannis was late. I just mentioned him. Yeah. There's there's going to be someone. So looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. We were, we were talking in our Bulls group earlier today with the number four pick talking about Denny Avdija. So the Bulls just hired Arturis Karsinovis, the GM from the Nuggets. So he's the guy who picked Nikola Jokic. He's big on, you know, foreign picks and big on trading down. So something interesting to watch when the draft starts at number four. Well, the Spurs made a pretty darn good living for 20 years out of taking a lot of foreign guys. So I think they're on to something. Yeah, they just know how to play basketball. They do. All right. Is that it? Last thing, the Monday night football game. We are about 40 minutes away. Vikings and Bears. I know that you will be locked into this one and I will be for the same reason. What you think? Well, we got to tell the fans. First of all, we didn't mention this earlier. We are both still alive in the guillotine. We're both going to survive tonight. So we started with 17 teams, and after tonight, we will be down to seven. So it's getting serious. But yeah, we're both pretty locked in. We're both rooting against Dalvin Cook because we want a certain guy in our, in our league to get eliminated. Yeah. Suck it, Gio. <laughs> Sorry, Gio. We want you gone, bro. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. First of all, you have a really good Bears defense with a couple of really, really fast linebackers, including one of my favorite dogs of all time, Roquan Smith, against Dalvin Cook, who has been tearing the league to shreds this year. He has at least one touchdown in every game and multiple touchdowns in most of the games. I think the last two weeks he's had a total of over 400 yards and five touchdowns. He's just been going crazy. Really excited to see what the Bears can do to stop stop Dalvin Cook. Right. And this game, when, you know, the first thing I think of is it's hard to find a more electric quarterback matchup than Kirk Cousins and Nick Foles. I mean, those <laughs> guys both just pop off the screen. You absolutely love to watch them. It's just going to be a really, really fun Monday night game. But in all seriousness, Kirk Cousins, he's had his struggles in prime time. I don't really care about this game other than Dalvin Cook. Let's get him uh, 16 and a half points or less. That's why fantasy football is a beautiful thing because a stupid game you don't care about becomes really exciting. Makes everything more interesting. Let's go. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening once again. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us some ratings and reviews. Check out our next episode. Have a good day.